ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. Welcome aboard Captain Fi, the Financial Independence Podcast. get started today remember anything on the show is provided for general information only and should not be taken as constituting professional advice you should always do your own research when making any financial decision hey guys just wanted to give a quick shout out to ShareSite before we get started today I recently interviewed them for the blog and ended up chatting with the team for hours about how it all works how I can use it, and I just wanted to say thanks. They were really transparent and helpful about it all. ShareSite is basically an accounting tool that I use to keep track of my share portfolio. So you'll see me um, start to use it more and more in the net worth updates and on the blog because it's really simple to use. Uh, It even does all my annual tax reporting for me with the click of a button. So no more agonizing over spreadsheets in Excel. The best thing about it though, is if you have under 10 holdings, it's completely free. So it perfectly suits index fund investors who are on the path to financial independence. It's not sponsored for the potty or anything, but I just wanted to share this useful tool. I did do a pretty big write-up about it on the blog. If you wanna learn more about how you can use it to simplify your portfolio management, uh, especially at tax time, and ditch the Excel spreadsheet. Um, ShareSite did kindly provide a bonus sign-up offer for Captain Fire readers uh, through an affiliate link. So if you want to sign up, you can score yourself four months of premium subscription for free. So head to the blog and check out the show notes for that. I personally just use the free version, which does um, everything I need. On board with us today is Mike Staunton, investor, personal finance coach, and CEO and co-founder of Money Like Mike. Mike lives in inner Melbourne, and after reaching financial independence, he left his high-stress career as an engineer to pursue his passion of helping others take control of their wealth. Mike has a pretty interesting story. He's originally from North Carolina in the USA, where he trained and worked as an electrical engineer. Despite being in one of the highest paying career streams, he somehow only ever seemed to go backwards with money and ended up with over $100,000 in personal debt in his early 20s, which included loans on three cars, one of which didn't even run. Mike knew he needed a change, so after being inspired by Dave Ramsey eight years ago, jumped on board his first ever aircraft flight on a one-way trip to Melbourne, where he was taking a chance on a transfer to his employer's Australian office. Mike sold everything when he left to pay down as much of the debt that he could and then adopted a lifestyle in the city which kept his cost of living rock bottom. This enabled him to drag himself out of debt. Through a combination of frugality, cycling, not having a car, being plant-based, and also being alcohol-free, Mike was able to pay off 
all of his debts and start investing. Mike invests in both the US and Australia through his 401k, IRA, and superannuation, which he maxes out, and also through mutual funds via a conventional brokerage account. Ultimately, understanding the difference between a want and a need enabled Mike to pay off his debts and reach financial independence in only eight years. Now on the path to becoming a Decker millionaire, Mike shares with me some of the top saving and investing tips he uses with his clients. Although we don't exactly see eye to eye on everything, Mike certainly provided me with a refreshing perspective and I had a great time chewing the fat with him. Strap in guys, because it's a pretty long potty. All right, with that said, Mike, welcome to the show. Oh, amazing. Thank you, Captain. I appreciate that intro. Last time we had a little bit of an accident in the studio and we lost all of our data. So we're recording this again. Uh, it's been six weeks since our first conversation. Um, thanks so much for bearing with me, mate. Um, I've gone through a bit of uh, stuff uh, with family. I've had some um, leave from work and I'm now back into the swing of things. Oh, man, it's good to hear that you're back and uh, we all have been through something. Maybe not uh, the same level of severity, but the, the last six weeks have, have definitely been interesting. And the first half of 2020, for sure, has been interesting for a global global scale. Absolutely. And I did want to ask as well, um, you're, you're from Melbourne. How are you dealing with the, the lockdowns? And are you guys safe? And do you have enough toilet paper and plain flour? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, all of that, everything that I do hasn't changed. So you're definitely asking the wrong human being about the rules. Uh, I don't listen. And uh, even if I, I did take the time to, to be told or read or learn, I'm just not the man to, to, to know what's going on. So my life has not changed other than the fact that we can't uh, travel. Well, I personally try to cut a lot of the media out of my life because I find it really stresses me out. When I actually was home um, spending time with my father and my mom, who are both um, pretty sick, uh, they love watching the news and TV. And I found myself getting really anxious just with these repeating sound bites about all the coronavirus fears. Yeah, and it really it does, it sort of started making me a bit uneasy. So I'm kind of glad I'm back in my own bubble now and I can unplug that TV. Uh, that's, that is amazing to hear. And I love sharing the stories. A quick one back when the Boston bombing happened a number of years ago, where if you watch the television, the news on the bombing for over 12 hours, you actually experienced greater PTSD than someone that was actually running the race. Wow. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it sells headlines, I guess, and that's why they do it. But, you know, it does take a toll on your health. It does. It's all affected. And that's why I love being able to join you on this podcast and being able to talk about money because the people that are listening to you and, and I today, that hopefully to be able to take away something and learn something and fill their mind with the positivity. Absolutely. So, um, look, Mike, uh, thanks for coming on again. Um, 
and I guess hopefully it's a little easier this time around. But first up, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? So um, obviously you've got that uh, American accent, so you know you weren't always from Melbourne. Um, how did you get here? What did you do? And what are some of your hobbies? Yes, that's very true. So I was actually born in Durham, North Carolina, and I spent my first 25 years of life there. And I came over to Australia on my first international flight, and that was a one-way to Melbourne as an electrical engineer. And I did a transfer with my job, and I've been here for eight years. Now I'm a citizen. I have two passports. I'm pretty, pretty happy about that. I'll pick up on your career as an electrical engineer. I don't know if it's just me, but I noticed that a lot of people that are interested in financial independence, uh, investing, retire early, a lot of them are engineers, um, particularly IT and software. But I have seen um, a number of, you know, I was an aer- aerospace engineer um, at the start of my career. Um, Pat, Pat the Shuffler from Lifelong Shuffle. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's a muddy, uh, a civil construction engineer. Um, the Aussie Firebug, he works in IT. He's software. Mr. Money Moustache, he's a software engineer. Um, Mad Fiantist, I'm pretty sure he's in IT as well. And now Mike is a electrical engineer, so a recurring uh, theme. <laughs> it really is. And if you do any research or read some books, the top five careers for everyday millionaires are engineer, accountants, teachers, management, and attorneys. So engineering topping the list right there. It, I'm not sure if it's number one, but it's definitely in the top five. Some people might think, oh, what about a doctor or an actor? But I would suggest from the doctors and actors that I know, which, you know, count that for what it's worth, um, they probably tend to have a higher spending rate. So I know a big focus of my training in engineering was about efficiency. Um, We did a lot of plant engineering um, where you say we're going to design a factory. You look at areas where you can recycle or reuse energy. So say a particular process gave off a lot of energy, well, you could harness that energy and use that as as a kiln if you were going to dry something that was a part of that process. So just in order to make the system more efficient. So... Perhaps perhaps that focus on efficiency, margins of safety, those lessons become translated to one's personal finance, which is why the engineers and accountants can potentially become wealthier quicker than other higher paid jobs. And I totally agree with you. The one that is probably my favorite is my is the teachers because I've always we've all have our favorite teachers at some point in our life and we always talk about the the poor salaries of teachers but they actually reach millionaire status and my belief is that's because they're actually doing the things that they love to do i i love teaching um i had some pretty amazing teachers i had a lot of behavioral difficulties in school um i sort of haven't really spoken much about this but I actually went to about 17 different schools and I spent time in um, some behavioural rehabilitation schools and centres because I had a a lot of trouble um, managing my emotions uh, and anger when I was younger. Um, had a lot of energy and a lot of frustrations and honestly, without some of those amazing teachers to 
support and love me and help me grow, there's no way I could be sitting here chatting to you right now. So, yeah, I'm, I'm eternally grateful for some of the most amazing teachers that I've had in my life. I totally agree. I have a teacher that I actually still talk to today, and it's just amazing to have her in my life. And back to what we're doing today, we are teaching, and that's what I do as a coach. I'm there to teach. You can have anything you want as long as you help someone else get what they want. And so I think that it's really important on your journey to focus on helping other people get where they want to go, and they'll help you too. It's, you know, you, you're going to be able to work together to achieve much more than you would as individuals. Totally agree. I love Zig and his quotes. We could just chat all day. Um, it's, it's awesome. Uh, what I really wanted to get out of you today to pass on to the viewers is um, you have something really uh, unique in that you are car free. Um, you live in Melbourne CBD and you get around everywhere on a bike. Now, I've had a lot of people um, interested. I recently bought myself an electric uh, mountain bike. I'm using it to commute uh, to the airport and back, which is great. I'm getting my time down around the sort of 30 to 40 minutes, depending on how hard I pedal. Um, and, uh, but a lot of people are interested. Um, and a lot of people say, oh, it's okay for you. You live in the city or, you know, I have to commute quite a long distance. Well, I mean, I'm personally doing about um, 20 kilometres and I know you have cycled from interstate before, like you've cycled thousands of kilometres. So definitely want to um, learn about your secrets and tips about cycling and how you could get rid of your car. Well, just to take a step back again, I'm from North Carolina, and at one point in my 20s, I had three cars. So it's not that I just went straight into this. I actually, you know, got into cars, and I like I like my truck back home, and enjoyed driving around four wheel drive and all of that. But I sold everything when I came over to Australia because I wasn't sure when I was going back or if I would go back. So that's when I sold everything learned that the public transport in the city was really, really good. And I just decided to get a bicycle. Uh, it was easy. I was convinced, especially with the traffic. Like you mentioned, I live in the CBD. So, man, the traffic here is just crazy. And there's never any traffic in the bike lane. And that's what I really loved and enjoyed. It was also a forced way to stay up with my fitness. I was able to exercise without having to go and spend extra time at the gym. I was commuting, so it was kind of two birds, one stone. And one of my favorite things that I got to learn was after work on the ride home, it was almost like a meditation for me because I rode hard and uh, I was weaving in and out of traffic at peak hour traffic down, um, you know, sometimes Chapel Street or St. George's Road, wherever I was. And it was almost like a meditation because I had to be completely present and in the zone or I was going to get hit by a car or a car door or someone crossing the street when they shouldn't be. Wow. That feeling, actually, I really, I used to ride um, my motorcycle quite a lot. Uh, I recently sold the bike and 
I was a little disappointed. For me, it was a financial decision, um, chasing financial independence. Um, but I really enjoyed that zen-like state of riding my motorcycle uh, because you're right, you have to be completely in the zone. Um, and I get that a lot, a similar experience with flying. You need to be completely present. Um, otherwise, you can have some serious consequences. Uh, and since I got my electric mountain bike, though, I feel like it feels almost the same purpose as my motorcycle. Uh, and it's so much fun. So how do you make it work then with your cycling? Because there's obviously days when it's really hot, days when it's really cold, when it's raining, days when you wake up and you have to go to work early. How do you get yourself out on the bike in freezing temperatures sometimes before the sun's even risen? Yeah, as mentioned, I was an engineer and going into the office like that in winter in Melbourne, sometimes you don't really get to see the sun, right? You go to work when the sun's still down and you get home or you're going home and the sun's going down just because of the short sunlight, sunlight time. And people in that in the office were like, exactly that question. What do you do when it's hot? What do you do when it's raining? And my, I just, that was probably my favorite question was about what do you do when it rains? And it's very simple. I get wet. <laughs> Honestly, it's, it's just no different than that. Uh, I personally love the heat, so bring it on. Uh, I haven't been to Darwin yet, but I have been to, to far north Queensland, and I would consider living there. I very seriously believe that I could be there later this year or next year. I just love the heat. The cold in Melbourne is really getting to me this year. I'm quite, quite cold, but riding around, in my opinion, that just means you're not riding hard enough. Yes, of course. Okay, so you just need to be burning more energy. That's it. I mean, there was there was a many years when I was doing about 100 Ks a week commuting to the office, I actually didn't even wear pants. I wore shorts all year round. Yeah, see, I, I have a, and I look a bit ridiculous in the winter mornings. You know those uh, face, it's almost like a, a ski mask, but it's clear. Uh, people will use them when they're using power tools. It's like a, a eye protection. I actually have, I wear that. So I basically have a clear ski mask, uh, Nilex ski mask, which I put on. Uh, and that just stops my eyes from tearing up because I am, I am going pretty quick. I reckon I'm getting up to about 50K an hour. Uh, and I just have a, a rain, like a wind cheetah waterproof jacket. Uh, I wear shorts, um, just my woolen Explorer socks and a pair of gloves. And that kind of, that keeps me going. Um, maybe have a little face sock uh, just to sit over my mouth. Um, you know, like a, I, I don't know what they're actually called. It's, it's kind of like an elastic sort of scarf. Uh, but I find after five or 10 minutes, I get really hot and I need to take it all off. <laughs> Yeah, and that's right. That's what you'll find. And I go out in, in shorts or years ago, not this year, but it would go out in shorts and you quickly warm up. So now I just want to back up a bit because you said earlier that you had three cars and then so you sold them because you, you obviously couldn't take them with you when you came to Melbourne. What stopped you from buying cars when you got to Melbourne? Like you mentioned public transport. Was that literally it? Or Well, 
I am a financial coach, and one of my number one things that I teach people to do is to get out of debt and stay out of debt. So when I actually came to Melbourne eight years ago, actually eight years ago this month, I made my last debt payment that I'll ever have for the rest of my life. So I, I arrived and still had just a few thousand dollars left to pay in, in, the, in the U.S. for my student loans when I... And I knew I had already vowed and knew that I was never going into debt again for the rest of my life for anything. So I had to get out of debt. Then I had to save money in order to say I wanted to buy a car for five or ten or fifteen thousand dollars, whatever the price was. By that time that I had that money to do so, I was already here for nearly I don't know nine, twelve months, something like that. And so I made it for a year. It just doesn't make sense. It financially didn't make sense. And when I ran the numbers of what it would cost me if I bought, if I paid $10,000 for a car in cash, man, I've saved at least 50, if not probably close to $80,000 just with that car. It, it adds up. I mean, even if you pay for the car in cash, you still got rego, you got insurance, you got tolls, fuel, maintenance. Uh, and let's be honest, we're all going to get a parking fine here or there. Now, this was something that I was really interested to dig into more depth. And I recently actually wrote out everything that it costs me to commute. And then I looked at um, what some Australian averages would be. I'm just looking, I've just got the article now. It's called The Total Cost of Commuting. It's up on the Captain Fire website. Um and for me, uh, I reckon it cost me around 61 cents per kilometre. Uh, and that includes, as you mentioned, the um, depreciation on the car, the maintenance, the petrol, um, the wear and tear, maintenance, insurance, registration, um, yeah, the occasional toll, parking, all that kind of nonsense. Because I, I basically looked at that and since I'm you know driving over 40 kilometers per day um, to the airport and back um, I hope my maths is adding up here but it's saving around $150 a week just by leaving my car at home and cycling that's right that's my math tells me the same thing that's about six seven thousand dollars a year yeah <laughs> That's a lot of money. So, I mean, $7,000 a year, if you're putting that into an ETF, an index fund, and, you know, you're going to get roughly 10% back, that's like giving yourself um, a $7,700 pay rise every year. So you're going to save that 7000 and then you're going to make 700 on it every year. Think about the amount of money that you would need in your portfolio to sustain that. If we're talking the four percent rule or the you know the twenty five x rule, that seven thousand dollars that you would need to commute, you would need nearly two hundred thousand dollars worth of index funds invested just to support that commuting habit. On the flip side, if you're happy to ride your bike rather than drive everywhere. And I'm not saying you get rid of your car entirely, but just, you know, only Mr. Money Moustache talks about it quite a bit, only using it when it's absolutely necessary. 
riding the bike just brings financial independence all that much closer. It does. And we're only talking about the commuting to the office. You had shared earlier that you just drove 20 hours. You know, how many kilometers was that? 1,500, 22,000 kilometers? I'm not sure. But that it's also more costs. Yes, absolutely. Um, I like. I don't think I'll ever get rid of my car entirely because I my family is so dispersed around the country um, that I really value being able to get in the car and drive thousands of kilometres. You know, road tripping. Um, I'm looking at getting a van, actually, um, but when I'm home, the idea is that that van is securely parked away in the garage, the battery's, um, you know, disconnected or it's on the trickle charger, and I'm not really using it because I have my bikes. Um, but then it's just there as my safety net, so I'm not quite at your level yet. I haven't reached that awesome level of, um, of cycling, but maybe one day... And it's all it's all personal choice. I mean, it's just like your finances. Like I'm a personal financial coach because everyone's situation is different. Everyone's going to do different. So I believe that you have the discipline to leave your car at home. I know for myself, I can't do that. If I had the easy option, I'm choosing it. But because I don't have a car, I can't drive one. <laughs> I like it. You know, I am a little bit all or nothing when it comes to some aspects. An example is I won't buy a gaming console because if I buy like an Xbox or, or a PlayStation, I know damn well I'm just going to sit there and play it until I finish every game. So I do have to limit myself sometimes, um, but thankfully I'm disciplined enough with the car and the bikes at this stage. And it's all a journey. It's an ebb and flow. Things change. You might hit 85% savings rate next year. Something may happen. You have to go back or you choose to go back and see family around the country. And maybe it's only a, a 30% savings rate, right? It's it's all a journey and to be okay with that. Yeah, um, the old uh, savings rate has taken a bit of a hit, I think, on the road. It did buy a bit of petrol. Um, thankfully, I was lucky when I got home, uh, the mill uh, does have some petrol-powered engines, so I was able to siphon a bit into the car, <laughs> um, which is a bit cheeky. But, uh, yeah, no, it was, um, yeah, having, having time off work uh, definitely uh, meant I wasn't earning, you know, the good money. But, hey, this is the reason we're looking for financial independence is that when, when things like that happen, um, you have the ability to go and take a break from work and spend time with family. It's exactly what we're shooting for here. That's why we do what we do, to have that flexibility to spend time with those that we love or do the things that we love if family is not close enough, such as mine. My family's in North Carolina still, and it's hard to get there at the moment. But I have the flexibility. Could I make it happen? Most likely, it's just going to cost a little bit more money. Yeah, that must be really tricky having family literally on the other side of the world. Technology works great. I mean, here we are, we're recording a podcast. We're not even in the same city, you know, and then you're able to, to FaceTime or video call and, and do different things to stay connected, which is very, very helpful. You don't have to write letters anymore. 
you know, I when I got um, to my dad's farm, I found some letters that I had actually written him uh, from years and years ago, and it definitely brought a, a smile to my face. But you know, I realised, gosh, I can't remember the last time I wrote an actual letter. Back to the bikes. What kind of bike do you have, or do you have multiple bikes? I only have one bike at the moment, and it is a flat handlebar road bike. I use that as a commuter. When I was yep. going to the office, I now work from home. I've been working from home for the last eight months. So now it's just a joy ride, and I have been setting it up to do the interstate travel coming hopefully in summertime or warmer weather. I don't know about Queensland. What What's going to happen there? We're pretty flexible in uh, the current rules and stuff in Victoria, but that's my bike and man, I love it. It, it is what it is. I have been to many bike shops and been shopping to, to look to upgrade, but uh, I just can't justify it right now. And I don't need more than one bicycle at the moment. That's yeah, that's really true. You can get go overboard. Um, I started with I think a gosh, I think I paid twenty dollars for it on Gumtree, just a small mountain bike, um, and I was riding that, and I even rode that to work a few times. And I tell you what, doing you know just over twenty k's each way on a twenty dollar bike with little wheels was challenging. So I um, had a look at some reviews online. I found um, the bike secondhand, which um, I currently bought. Uh, it's a um, got a, B, a BH Neo 29ER. So it's got the big 29 inch wheels. Um, it's got a integrated uh, battery in the frame, uh, which you can lock and unlock. And I tell you what, it is one of the best things I've ever bought. I think I paid a thousand dollars for it. Um, I was lucky that I had some lights uh, from and um, reflectors and things, which I had on my old bike. Um, and this thing is this thing is great. Um, in Australia, you can't have a, a throttle on an electric bike, um, so you have like a pedal assist. But I, I can charge this thing up and. You know, it, with me pedaling, and I'm pretty puffed when I get to work and back, um, I can get it to average around 30 to 40 kilometers an hour. Um, and it sort of, I charge it up every day just to keep the battery safe. But I, I think it's I think it's good for like 100 kilometers or a couple of hundred kilometers. So, yeah, it's um, probably one of the best things I've ever bought. Uh, have, have you ever considered buying an e-bike or riding an e-bike at all or are you just are you just a bit of a purist i gotta say i'm a purist in that sense i can't do it <laughs> i see um people riding these uh racing bikes you know the carbon slimline uh road bikes and uh and i and i'm like keeping up with them sort of and then they kind of you know going down a hill they they're so fast but with my pedal assist and the uphill, I can kind of catch them and pass them. And I, I remember going to work the other day and there was this bit of a back and forth because, you know, I'd overtake them and they would overtake me. And then I would just, you know, and in the end, they just sort of, it looks like they got the shits and they just went 110% to just leave me in their dust. 
it is a great challenge. I mean, over the years, I've, I've had a few bikes. Uh, I remember very similar. Uh, when I got here, I bought my I bought my first bike on Gumtree as well. I, I paid $15, and I ended up getting a, a, a floor fan, like one for the bedroom and the bicycle for both for 15 bucks. Ah, uh, I feel the pain when you're like, it's, it takes a while when you're doing that commute on a bike. I quickly learned that there are actually bike sizes and I had no idea that fit my, my, my body. On the Instagram and Facebook and that you, you're a pretty tall bloke. So <laughs> seeing you on a little bike would be funny, right? <laughs> yeah, it is now, but at the time I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> well, it's funny because my cheap bike that I rode when I was first got to Sydney, I'm pretty sure that's like a teenager or a child's bike. Um, the, the BH motion that I'm easy motion that I'm on now, that's a proper adult size bike. And it makes such a difference. Just, you know, that extra length on the crank, the clearance, um, the ergonomics. And the biggest one for me is that the wheel diameter. So the 29 inch wheel, it makes it so much easier to ride. Yeah. I had a 29er for probably five years and I did the most kilometers on that thing so far. And I loved it. The wheel diameter you can beat up is 29 inches. And my similar story of yours with the electric bike, I was riding home one day after work and this guy had an electric bike and I, I called him up at the lights and uh, we even up a hill out similar to the little carbon, um, the carbon guys was, I was trying to keep up with this. I was going 110% and man, it was a challenge. You know, and he's just sitting there, pedal assist, kind of going along, and I am busting it. And I remember that that day very, very well. So I reckon an electric bike fits a really important niche market on both ends of the cycling spectrum. Um, so for me, you know, like I've always been a fairly fit guy. Um, I enjoyed cycling. Um, I used to do a lot of downhill riding. Um, I did track velodrome racing when I was younger um, and sort of just fell fell off the bandwagon. But it's a different kind of fitness than the weightlifting and the fart leg sort of running um, and swimming that I was doing. And it really helped me get into the cycle commuting. Um, and look, I'm, I'm looking for like a carbon road bike now because, you know, this electric bike is wonderful, but I'm also cognizant that it's quite heavy and the wheels have the 29 inch wheels have off-road tires with big treads which are create quite a lot of drag and there's a big contact patch so on as i'm improving my cycling ability i'll probably transition to a um to a carbon or even just a you know an aluminium uh road bike with the really high pressure like 90 psi or whatever it is skinny road tires just so that you know it's sort of if i i reckon if i got the road bike now it would have just overwhelmed me and i would have just given up so the electric bike has allowed me to just to keep doing it and to stick at it so i think it's really good for people that want to get into cycling or know they need or should be cycling um, for all the beneficial reasons we've mentioned the amount of money you save like holy moly um <laughs> thousands and thousands of dollars a year. Um, the fitness uh, aspect is really invaluable. 
Um, and for me, it's, it's also a time saver. So you might go, well, hang on, it takes you almost an extra 50%, sometimes double to drive to work. Well, I, I go, yeah, but now I've done my exercise for the day. So there's no need to go to the gym. So for someone who is paying for a gym membership, woof, you don't need to pay that anymore because you're cycling. Um, and we haven't even mentioned sort of the environmental benefits as well. Um, geez, like roads take up so much space in the city and cars you produce so much pollution. Uh, and cycling sort of just, it ticks all these boxes. So, but uh, I know some people aren't really mad keen on uh, on cyclists. So have you had any, um, have any bad experiences cycling, Mike? Oh, yeah, you have some situations where you don't always want to be in, people not paying attention, car doors, those kind of things. But I haven't actually been hit by a car. And even though sometimes you hear some some purist uh, cyclists, you're not a real bicyclist if you haven't been hit by a car yet. I've, I've not been in a bad situation, uh, which I'm very happy with. But it comes back, I believe, for... Both you and I, we both had motorbikes. I had one when I was 17, which uh, is a whole nother story in itself, which was very silly. But I survived, and the only way I was able to survive was to be a defensive driver, to be 100% present and make sure that other people will see you in whatever manner that means. Look, I did uh, defensive driving courses myself. Uh, you know, perhaps I overdo a lot of things. Uh, when I was getting my license, I was too nervous to uh, sit the test. So I did the competency logbook method. Um, and uh, same with my motorcycle riding. I did the stay upright course. I uh, went through the, 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 the training, you know, the L's and the P's and everything. Uh, and I did the defensive driving courses. And I, because I thought that was a very valuable return on investment, um, what, what do you think about, like, would you recommend people go out and pay to do defensive driving courses? Or how do you think people can be better at driving and cycling? I think it's very helpful to understand both sides. As a owner of cars and driving of cars, I have respect and I, I feel like I have common sense and I pay attention and all these other things. Now that I'm on the other side as a cyclist, I know how it can be almost zen like in a car and you don't even remember driving it sometimes i've been that person so I, there is some grace but i have to think like when i'm on my bicycle i have to think like the car driver and if i'm driving a car i try to think like the bicyclist and if there's a bike lane or if there's a popular route that i know or have seen someone or i, I pass someone that means that if i slow down at a light there's a high probability that they're going to come up beside me again so just being aware of your surroundings is extremely helpful and, and just be present. Yeah, that's a really good point, mate. Um, I really like what you said about when you ride, you ride and you think like a motorist. And when you are driving, you're thinking like a cyclist. Uh, and yeah, man, we've all been there. You just sort of, whoa, how did I get home? You just sort of autopiloted your way. Um, so being present is super important. So in that way, like cycling will probably make you a safer driver. Yes, it, it definitely will. And for those that hate cyclists, is most likely those that don't ride a bicycle. Yeah, yeah. People may be afraid of the unknown or the change. Correct. 
So it's interesting, you know, looking at the stats on bicycle safety and traffic incidences, some people consider it too risky to commute on a bike. Um, when I looked at the cost of commuting for that article, I tried to look a bit into the risk of commuting in your car and it was really hard to get proper data because whilst, um, whilst the government does keep some statistics on road fatalities and serious injuries, it's really hard to get data on minor injuries and just things like fender benders which haven't injured anyone. So I'm sure that insurance companies and like actuarials have that data, but it's probably behind paywalls or it's like really commercial insensitive, probably is how they design their insurance policies. This podcast is brought to you by the best portfolio tracking tool for Aussie investors. ShareSite makes it incredibly simple to track your portfolio with automatic updates of share purchases and dividends, easy to read graphs, and comprehensive tax and performance reporting, all wrapped up in an easy to use cloud-based system. For users with fewer than 10 holdings, it is completely free, and I even used the free version for years. Head over to captainfire.com forward slash ShareSite dash review to see if ShareSite is for you. CaptainFi listeners can score themselves four months of ShareSite Premium for free by using the bonus signup code in the article. If you do ever decide to hold more than 10 stocks, be sure to use this code to get your first four months for free. Even if you do only plan to use the free version, using the code means if you ever do upgrade, you'll still get your four months for free. Ditch the Excel spreadsheet and complete your tax with a click of a button by signing up today. That's captainfi.com forward slash ShareSite dash review for your four free months. But when I looked at the total cost, um, it was basically, I looked at the number of accidents, I looked at the number of people on the road, and I basically looked at um, the, the ratio of being um, in a serious injury um, is approximately one per nine million kilometers driven. So for the average Australian, that worked out that you had a 0.1% chance per year of having a motor accident that resulted in a serious injury. Um, I had to basically, I won't say guess, but I had to look at other nations um, and I had to look at what I thought was the best guess for the rate of actual fender benders. And in my experience, uh, my limited experience, I reckon that was around one in every three to four million kilometres travelled, meaning that you kind of have a 0.3% chance of having some kind of minor vehicle accident per year. Of course, when we talk about fatalities, in terms of driving, unfortunately, the US has one of the highest um, like fatality rates on the roads. Uh, but even Australia, we, we're, only, we're ranked 15 out of 31 OECD countries um, for the highest number of motor vehicle deaths per year. So ours is currently 5.5 per 100,000 people. Um, so that's nearly half the US's rate, but it's still over double what the European average is. So, uh, And I think there's a much higher rate of cycling in in europe especially in those denser european cities that's a great stat i didn't know that I and mean, again being from america i know that 
fatalities on the road are huge, are huge numbers. It's awesome to know about European cities and states and they do cycle more. You're right. It's pretty easy math. If you don't ride in a car, you can't die in a car. Absolutely. You know, I often tell people that are really nervous about coming for a fly with me. And I say, you know, um, you're more likely, we're more likely to have an accident on the way to the airport than we will on our flight. And that's just in a light aircraft as well, single engine light aircraft. Um, Multi-engine aircraft are very, very safe. Driving a car for, uh, you know, 100 kilometres is is statistically equal to flying for over 10,000 kilometres. Uh, in the air or air miles so you know um it's it's much safer to to fly but look we'll keep this in perspective um like we said an injury 0.1 percent um some kind of accident 0.3 percent a fatality it's closer to 0.004 percent so in in australia um you're obviously much much likely to just have a minor accident or incident than you would a fatality but um you know those minor incidents or even major incidents can financially ruin you so you know you've got to everything is a risk reward and i can see the risk reward to cycling is so much less risk and so much more reward than just atrophying away in a metal box sitting on your ass <laughs> I, I totally totally agree and these are all numbers i love the numbers and hence the financial podcast but the things that you can't measure that we talked about, such as the being completely present, the meditative state that you get into. One of the biggest things that I recommend or for myself, again, everything's personal. One of the major reasons that I believe I'll never own another car is because of my sheer short temperedness of road rage. When I don't have a car, I don't get road rage. I'm in a bicycle and can meditate, basically. Interesting. So, yeah, you're able to basically recognize a situation that's going to lead you to, you know, stress and basically just completely avoid that. That's what I do. So what do you think about cycling? So we talked a little bit about accidents in cars. I mean, what do you think it's safer to ride a bike? Like how do we... How do you work out if it's safer to ride a bike or not? Well, I do. I think it's safer, but that's because I pay attention. Uh, I, I have also not been in a car accident because, again, I, I believe I'm a good driver and I pay attention. So yeah. it's all about you being personal. I remember a story about a father wanting his daughter to drive the newer car because it was safer more airbags, better seat belts, all these things. But it, at some point, it doesn't matter, right? It's kind of like you, because you're a pilot, because if the, in the plane, seat belts are really irrelevant from my understanding. If you're going down, you're not going to live. <laughs> okay. Well, actually, just because you mentioned that, it, de- <laughs> it depends on the type of accident, right? So if you were going, if you were doing like a, see fit like a controlled flight into terrain and you have no idea that you're about to fly into the side of a mountain absolutely it's not going to do shit mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me but um the reason we wear the seat belts is uh if for example we have a crash on takeoff or landing 
um, it stops you from flinging out of the seat. Um, and it also, in turbulence, can stop you from being ripped out of your seat. Uh, I remember flying once. Uh, where was I? Gosh, I think I'd left Dubai and I was somewhere, somewhere over that part of the world. I can't remember where I was going, but we were flying really, really high for the aircraft and we hit a jet stream or we were on the polar side of a jet stream, basically flying where you shouldn't be. And we all learn in ground school not to do this, but we did it anyway. And um, we hit turbulence, clear air turbulence associated with the jet stream so strong that the lasagna that I was eating stuck to the roof of the plane. Um, I was basically turned upside down because I hadn't had my seatbelt on properly. Like I was sitting in the third seat <clears throat> and the captain at the time was twisted 90 degrees. So his legs were over the throttles and it disconnected the autopilot and the aircraft began to descend. And so we were just like, holy crap. <laughs> All right, let's get out of this. Um, so we were very glad to have our seatbelts on then. But, okay, minor diversion. Yeah, <laughs> back, back to <laughs> And it's it's all about how you go about it, right? Um, I'm not going to ride on the M1 here in Melbourne. Not happening. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm on bike paths. I'm on, I'm on roads, yes, that are busy, which I quite enjoy, to be honest. Chapel Street used to be a busy place, and and I love going down there. It's more dangerous, but I am on a bicycle riding faster than those cars are driving. Yeah, yeah. You, you, um, like I said, if you have that situational awareness and you know where the bikes are, sorry, where the cars are, you're able to keep yourself safe. Unfortunately, it's often when you lose that situational awareness and you don't know where the threat is that that's when it can become an issue. I'll give you a personal example. So my mum actually used to ride to work. Um, she would ride about 15 k's each way. Um, uh, she's a teacher. And one day she was riding along, it was a 60 kilometre an hour zone, um, you know, two lanes, uh, not a particularly busy road. Uh, and she was unfortunately hit by a car. Um, and, you know, she tells me now she can remember basically just flying through the air and going, what the hell is happening? And then the next thing she knows, um, she was in hospital. And, you know, her helmet was cracked clean in half. So when she did hit the ground, she landed on her shoulder and her head, um, broke the helmet clean in half. So she has had extensive surgery. Um, she's required ongoing uh, physiotherapy. Um, I call her the bionic mum or the terminator mum because she now has metal plates and metal rods in her arm um, because some of her bones were just completely shattered beyond repair. And now, um, geez, what is it, probably 10, 15 years later, she is suffering like a lot of arthritis-related issues from that. Um, and so, you know, to her and to our family, the risk of, of cycling is very real, very real risk. Yeah, and that definitely touches home. Uh, there is that risk. Uh, you gave the numbers. Is it worth it? Uh, for us currently, it could be the male ego. It could be our age. We're much younger, I guess, than your mom is now. But it, it is uh, the risk. You're right. There is a risk. And is it worth it? And you can relate that to finances. You know, We can talk about 
investing styles and what I invest in. And there's a 0% chance I'm investing in Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, you and me both, mate. <laughs> I just want bog standard index funds. For me, investing is not sexy. Investing is boring. That's it. Uh, I love the book. One of the best investing books that out there is The Tortoise and the Hare. Hey, slow and steady wins the race. That's it. Every time. So actually, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about finance and books. Yeah, because this is a finance podcast, I guess. But I just wanted to wrap up what we were saying on about bikes. So I, I did get some, um, some stats um, from the uh, Department of Infrastructure, Transport, Cities, and Regional Development, and they threw out um, that there had been 35 fatal bicycle accidents per year, um, but that number didn't include serious injuries. So I was able to go onto a website um, from a bicycle advocacy group, so a group that supports bikes, uh, and they reckon that one in five injuries on Australian roads are cyclists. And so I thought, oh, okay, well, it's pretty high. Um, so I looked into our national hospital morbidity, morbidity database, which is obviously, you know, some great light reading for the weekend. Um, and it showed that, you know, just in 2016, there were about 12,000 cyclists who presented to hospitals with cycling-related injuries. Um, it didn't discriminate whether it was involved in involving cars or whether people had sort of just um fell off their bikes but when i kept delving into the stats it turned out that australian stats on cycling was pretty similar to the american stats um but it was actually safer to ride your bicycle in australia so in um the us they have a cycling fatality rate of 6.9 deaths per 100 million miles, or if we'll convert that to the Queen's English, uh, 4.3 deaths per 100 million kilometres. So it may, it, when you look at that and you compare that, obviously that number is higher than the, than the car um, fatality rate, but when we considered the difference between American uh, road fatalities and Australian road fatalities, I think it's reasonable to assume that Australian cyclists would have a similar advantage. So the number I came out with was one death per 86 million kilometres cycled. So I don't know if you're going to be able to cycle 86 million kilometres um, in one lifetime, but I'm sure that's not, of course, how the statistics work. Um but again, that number, uh, one death per 86 million kilometres, that is higher than the driving, which is one death per 250 million kilometres. So I didn't want to pull too many numbers out of my ass, but like we kind of said before, I think you need to remember a lot of cyclists are fairly young, with no driver training. You know, there might be people that have lost their licence from drunk driving or drug driving, um, they might be adrenaline-seeking mountain bikers like you or me weaving in and out of traffic, um, risk-taking mammals. I don't know if you've heard the term mammal before, but 
That stands for middle-aged man in lycra. Um, and actually those mammals um, between the ages of 30 and 50, they make up the vast majority of cycling-related hospital admissions. Um, so I think a much, much smaller percentage are actually responsible adults with good driver skills, good situational awareness, have ridden motorcycles, driven cars, and ride bikes. So personally, I reckon it's safer to ride a bike than drive a car, even though maybe some of the numbers, you know, don't add up. I think it's difficult to just look at the numbers alone because it's not a big enough sample. Um, and just the last little thing I want to touch on here is that if anyone wants to look at the health benefits of cycling, Mr. Money Moustache has written a freaking excellent article on it. And I'm totally just going to plagiarize his um, outcome here. So he reckons that even under the most pessimistic of assumptions, the net effect of driving a car at uh, 100 kilometers an hour for an hour is dying 20 minutes sooner or 18 seconds of life lost per mile. Uh, that's, you know, obviously the American stats. And the net effect of riding a bike at 17 kilometers an hour for one hour is living two hours and 36 minutes longer or about 13 minutes of life gained per mile. So he's done more of a detailed number crunch and he's basically proven to you on his site, and I'll link to it in the in the show notes, that riding a driving a car makes you die quicker and riding a bike makes you live longer. So you know, you can't can't argue with that. Hey Mike. I totally agree. I love all of those numbers in that article I haven't read yet, and I will be sure to read so. But I plan, I'm in my thirties now, and I plan to be on a bicycle until I'm a hundred years old. And, you know, Mike, that's the other thing I was going to, that I was meaning to um, mention earlier was um, whilst the electric bike has really got me into riding again and has helped me transition to commuting to work, it, the electric bikes actually help older Australians and old, or I should say older cyclists as well. So there was a bloke, um, a, a family friend who was riding quite a bit around Sydney and he was, um, he lived on a, on a bit of a hilly area. So he wasn't basically to get out to join his cycling group every Saturday morning. He would ride down his hill, catch up for a coffee, they'd go for a ride and then he'd ride his bike home. But over the last couple of years, just getting his bike up that, that hill to get home was just too much. So what he was doing is actually putting the bike into his ute, driving it down to the coffee shop, having the coffee, going for the bike ride, putting the bike back into the car and then driving home. And then even recently, it was too much effort to bring the bike in and out of lifting it up and out of the ute. So by getting a electric bike, and I think the electric bike was just from Aldi, he was able to then ride his bike to the coffee shop, have the coffee, do the bike ride, and then basically switch on the electric assist and boof, 
right back up the hill and uh, happy days. So it's extended his ability to cycle and continue the exercise that he's getting right up into the later stage of life. So, you know, I think the electric bikes are really good, not only if you're getting into cycling, but also on the other end of the spectrum, when you're trying to stay in cycling or trying to keep cycling as long as possible. I totally agree. And that's great timing because my partner, her parents are in their 70s. And they just, each of them both just got electric bikes. And I love that. I've never known them to own bicycles or be on bikes, but they get out. They get to exercise. They're breathing fresh air. They're going longer distances. And it's more fun because they get to do it together. Absolutely. And, you know, being active, spending quality time together, that's the whole point of this whole financial independence movement, isn't it? It's to be healthy and free and spend your time the way you want. Totally agree. So just wrapping up on the bikes then, how much do you reckon riding a bicycle has saved you over driving a car? Well, I did the math on this, and if I was to purchase a $10,000 car with cash eight years ago when I got here, I would have saved over $60,000. Again, we talked about it briefly, but this includes the registration, insurance, total fuel, maintenance, and fines. And I did a little bit more research, and apparently, according to BudgetDirect.com, for people in Melbourne and Sydney, the average annual expense to own a car is $20,000 a year. Wow, yeah. It's... <laughs> the reason I... And just flabbergasted by that is because $20,000 per year, that's my fire number. So I could live off $20,000 a year. Crazy. It is. And that comes with car payments. And the majority of people have car payments or leased cars. And they're just operating cars the most expensive way that they can. And... (laughs) It's just silly, and I agree. My, I would say that my number's twenty grand. I mean, um, everyone has a different one. It could yours could evolve to ten later on. It could go up to fifty. Anything could happen. Yeah, well, to be honest, that number doesn't factor in children at the moment, and I'm hoping to be a dad later in life. So yeah, I mean, it's probably going to go up. <laughs> and I totally agree, and that's what I got to learn. I got to actually already retire in a sense that my partner and I quit our jobs and traveled around the country for 12 months and then continued on for another year after that in other countries around the world. And in that first year of being in Australia, it was around month eight or 10 of not working that I realized that this is not the life I want to live. Even if I don't get paid and a salary and a career and all this, I needed to contribute. I needed to do something. And I got into volunteering a little bit more. And then I started diving more into coaching people. And now I'm getting paid to do what I love, which is to help people with their personal finances. So I truly believe what you're doing is setting yourself up and the fire community to have the option to quit their full-time job that they may not have complete love of and do things that contributes to the world even more. For example, this year has been 
or the last 12 months in Australia have been really bad with the whole Corona thing. But before that was the fires. We had really bad fires this year. And if you were in the position that we're shooting for the fire position, you can quit and go look after your farm or someone else's or participate in building new fences. It just gives you that flexibility. And that's what I love about this movement. Yeah, I, I can't agree with you highly enough, mate. It's um, the freedom to basically con- have complete control over your life. So we mentioned um, that $60,000 you saved um, from not having a car. How are you investing that? Like, What is your in- investing style? Um, we jokingly said we both avoid Bitcoin, but in all seriousness, uh, how, what is your investing strategy? So being American and Australian, I have money in USD and AUD, which is going to be a a big benefit later in my life. So I have funded my superannuation in Australia and IRAs, which is an individual retirement arrangement in the U.S. So very similar. And I've funded both of those to create an amazing foundation because I still have 30 years of growth before I can access that money. So even if I've never put in any more money into either of those accounts, it's gonna be more than enough than I know how to spend currently. And inside of those ranges, I invest in only mutual funds. Okay, so mutual funds. So now in Australia, I guess they, not all mutual funds are built equally. So I invested in a fund, and I won't say which one it was, but the fees were really high, and the promotional letters I got said, ah, dear investor, you're making all this money, you know, you're very smart to have invested with us, blah, 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 blah. But I failed to consider the drag effect of the fees. And when all was said and done, I think I got like four and a half percent off of these guys with full risk exposure to almost a 100% stock environment. Um, so I was horrified when I think when I think back to that. Um, so when you say mutual funds, straight away my ears prick up and my heart rate goes a bit higher. So Mike, can you please clarify? You're not investing in high-fee mutual funds. Are you using the word mutual fund um, to describe listed investment companies or can you give us a little bit more information? Correct, yes. So my understanding and how I teach my clients is that there is a slight difference in ETFs, LICs and these things versus mutual funds, but I use the term mutual fund as a blanket. So I believe and my research tells me that Mutual funds and ETFs are the same thing in the sense that an ETF is just a type of mutual fund. Uh, Okay, so it's about nomenclature and how you categorize the funds. Yeah, correct. So I say the word mutual funds because I do not recommend investing in single stocks. Yeah, I tried that and... After a lot of anxiety and stress, I basically underperformed the index. Yep. On average, I think it's nearly nine out of 10 day traders do worse than if you just buy 
uh, one that tracks the S&P 500 or the ASX 200? Yeah, buy and hold, baby. That's my strategy. Totally agree. So, and, and those are the things that you can measure. It doesn't account for this time that you spent. Oh, my goodness. I've done the same thing in my early 20s. The time that you spent, the stress that it that causes, all the things that you just don't even talk about. Yeah. So do you invest in the, the mutual funds or we'll just call them index funds? Probably most people will be more familiar with the term index fund. Uh, here. So do you invest in these index funds uh, through your IRA and super or do you have any direct taxable investments outside of those vehicles? Great question. Like I said, I've created a great foundation for those retirement accounts. So I have chosen to step out and invest outside of that. That way I can access that money before I turn 60. Yeah, see that was that was the big kicker for me is that because I was planning to fire, I knew that I needed that money before preservation age. Um, so I started with, I think it was Comsec, um, and I was investing through them um, when I was doing my share, individual share trading. Um, and then when I learned more about fire, um, <clears throat> got onto Self-Wealth from the Aussie Firebug and basically just opened a Self-Wealth account um, sold all my individual stocks and basically I just buy uh, like there's three core ETF or mutual funds that I buy. So the A200 for Australia, VTS for America and VEU, which is total world minus America. Um, and then I just buy a couple of listed investment companies like Afic, Argo, Milton or Brickworks uh, when they're trading at a discount. So when they're, when I perceive there to be a value in a transaction um, and then yeah just buy and hold that's amazing and I, I totally agree i would love to touch on one bit of information or share some knowledge with you and your listeners and, and things like this don't chase fees the lowest fees may not always be the best investment the funds that you have shared with us today i believe that they're great but even if you're only paying like let's just give an example of 0.1 and you're getting an, uh, a return of 9% annually. So, so your net return in that example is 8.9%. And on the second part of that is if you have a mutual fund that is pay, uh, your fees are 0.9%, yes, I'm paying nine times, for example, that person is paying nine times more than the ETF or your index fund, but their return is 10% annually. So the net return would be 9.1%. Yes. Yeah. So, but the only thing is how do we, as investors, we can't really control the market, right? So how do you, how can a one fund or another guarantee that it's going to provide you a better return than another fund That's of the similar asset class. Yeah, it's it's hard to do. I shouldn't say it's hard to do. It takes time to do that. And it just comes back down to research. And I look for longevity. And for example, I have a fund in America that opened up in the 1950s that has averaged an annual return 
of over 11%. Okay, that's, yeah, that's pretty good. And I'm extremely happy with that. It's been open for 70 years. Yes, it's not going to be the same fund manager, but they have trained the new fund manager. And that is me being a passive investor because I, that's not my love. My love is to teach people. My love is to connect. My love is to tell people the knowledge that I have on to handle their money better. And his love, the fund manager for in this example, is that's his love. His love is to know these companies, investigate and make sure that they're looking for that 10, 11, 12 percent return. Do you have a side hustle? My side hustle is websites, a form of digital real estate. If you want to learn more about this lucrative side hustle, check out my review of the eBusiness Institute and their online self-paced courses. They cover everything from total beginners right through to advanced web design and how to buy, renovate, and sell websites for profit. As a graduate of Matt and Liz's courses, I can't thank them enough for the valuable web skills they gave me, and now I enjoy growing my portfolio of websites for income. Captain Fly listeners can register for free access to some of these courses by signing up using the link at www.captainfy.com forward slash ebusiness-institute-review. Build your portfolio of digital real estate and start using websites to make money today. Yeah, okay. So look, I, I look, I'm I'm definitely not a <clears throat> authoritative figure on finance and investing. Um, you know, I'm just like I'm on my path to financial independence. I'm learning as much as I can. My core um, portfolio are just passive ETFs, so just the index. So basically, no active fund management at all, um, and really low fees. So in for that core portion. Um, I figure I can't control the market, but I can control the fees that I pay. So in that respect, I, you know, I try and get the lowest fee ETF, but I don't mind a little bit of active management um, as long as the fees are really low and as long as they're not sort of tinkering with the index too much that it's going to spoil or increase the risk. So similar to your investing in these mutual funds, like I do invest in old school or I call them the granddaddy Aussie licks. Um, and similar to your one that's been around since the 50s, there are Aussie licks that have been around similar time periods. So, And they do charge a higher management fee than the core ETF index funds. Um, but I think, you know, it, there are some slightly different rules between a corporate, um, a corporate company structure, which these licks have, and then just the trust structure that the ETF has, which means there's pros and cons to owning both. Um, but personally, I'm hedging my bets and I'm just going to own both. <laughs> and I totally agree. You have taken action. That's my number one thing. We can get paralysis of the analysis and hopefully the people that listen to this, if they're one of these things and they're judging the conversation that we're having about fees and how much do you make, just jump in. Just do something. You're going to learn what your emotions can handle and you're going to learn which way is better for you. If you're a Bitcoin person, then go do it. Obviously, neither you or I are going to do that. But for them, if they're comfortable in doing that, then do that. You're not going to know until you start. Don't get paralysis of the analysis. Absolutely. You, um, you don't have to be great to start. 
but you do have to start to be great. <laughs> I love that. So, um, look, Mike, it's been awesome chatting to you. I'm, I'm mindful of the time here, but I, do, I have to ask, um, you know, you've obviously had a pretty amazing transformational journey from, you know, owning three cars, being in debt, student loans, to now basically running a coaching service where you're helping people get their stuff together. Um, what are some of the best books um, on your journey that you've read on sort of finance, personal growth, and even just lifestyle? Man, I've got a few here. And I said earlier, the best one is the tortoise in the hair, right? The slow and steady wins the rest. But I love this question, and I hope that this motivates others to go ahead and have a have a read or investigate some of these. But the finance one is easy for me because my mentor, Dave Ramsey, in the U.S., has multiple bu- multiple books that I would probably start with the Total Money Makeover. The other one, as far as one of his team team members has written, it's called Retired Inspired by Chris Hogan. And I remember that book and um, how profound or how much those words in the book were powerful for my situation at that moment. Another book that my number one investing book I recommend is Simple Wealth. Inevitable Wealth by Nick Murray. Find it and read it. It is decades old, but it has stood the test of time. And I love to reread this book every year or so because it keeps me on track to know that what I'm doing is working and to not get sidetracked. Man, honestly, it's it's the best investing book uh, that I've, I've read. It was recommended to me. It was old. It looks, it, honestly, it looks shit, but uh, I picked it up and I recommend this for any investing questions and people in my life. Uh, the book that I gift the most is called the book um, Boundaries by Dr. Henry Cloud. And he talks about when to say yes and when to say no. Now, I haven't given this to every one of my clients, but I talk about this with everyone because all relationships, be it your neighbors, literally a po- property boundary or your family, your friends, you got co-workers, and most importantly, yourself. It's really powerful stuff, isn't it, that psychology? Because when you think about it, investing is really like 20% money knowledge and 80% behavior. (laughs) That's right, and that's that's where my coaching comes in, right? I can teach you the 20% in one session, but I have to deal with the other 80% which is the man in my mirror, the man in your mirror, the person of my clients in their mirror. And the final book, especially, I think this is one of the most pivotal books that I read as far as relating to the fire community, because why are we doing what we do, right? We all have to do this. And that book that that will uh, give you some of that perspective is called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. I think listening to older people or people in that situation is going to be very powerful. I totally agree. I, I love, I've always connected with the older generation, uh, still do. And it really is that thing is what have they done? What can they teach me that I don't have to spend 10 years of my life doing? And I'm hoping that some of these podcasts and my coaching services help people do the same thing. 
I don't want you to learn what I had to learn that took me 10 years. I can tell you how to do something in 90 days and change your financial life. Can you tell us a little bit more about your coaching business and how you help other people? Totally. Thank you. Um, I help turn others' dreams into a reality with a proven financial plan, right? I saw, I mentioned before I'm out of debt 100%. I will never go back. I teach you how to manage your spending plan, your cash flow, monthly cash flow plan, and get out of debt and just stay out of debt. Yeah, you can find me at moneylikemike.com on Instagram and Facebook as well. I just, I'm there to inspire. I'm there to provide people and teach them to have hope, confidence, and certainty when it comes to handling your personal finances. Now, I don't know about you and how your journey started, but the people that listen to FIRE usually have a great grasp about how to do these things. It's more for those people that we're surrounded with because the numbers tell us eight out of 10 people, that's four out of five people live paycheck to paycheck. To me, it's just, it's just outstanding. I mean, it's just, I can't even, I can't even fathom it. And even though I lived there, I was there at 20 years old, I was worth negative a hundred thousand dollars. And now I'm on my way to DECA millions because of what I do. It works. And it really is the behavioral side of things. You just got to get started, eh? You just got to get started. You got to say no to yourself. Um, cut up your credit card. <laughs> Honestly, that's the number one fucking advice I can give someone is to get rid of your credit card. Just on that, why? Um, we probably got to wrap up. And I just always ask everyone this uh, the same question is, what are your top three tips for people on the path to fire or people wanting to improve their finances right now that they can do? The number one thing that I teach people is or to build wealth is, is very, very simple. And it's to never spend more than you earn. It's really that simple. And I don't believe that the fire community is part of that because we're always finding ways to invest more. How can I cut this and this? So I don't have a problem. The fire, that's not for the fire community, but those four out of five people that live paycheck to paycheck, they need to learn to never spend more than you earn. And that comes to financing cards, the credit cards, taking out a mortgage that you may not be able to pay if you lose your job. Um, the number at some of these books that I, that I mentioned above and some of the reading that hopefully your readers, listeners have read was if you want to be a millionaire, then you need to do what millionaires do. So my number one tip there is, and their advice is to get out of debt and stay out of debt. Uh, it was definitely the single best thing I've ever done. Um, for example, why am I trying to invest money right now to make a rate of return of, you know, say 10% for e easy numbers, but I'm paying 18, 25% in credit card interest. It doesn't make sense. You're not going to win. You're just giving the bank more money. Yeah, absolutely. Personal debt is a real killer of wealth creation. Yeah. And back to being content. If you're content and have gratitude for the things that you already have, man, you get to just live a happier life. And that's not exactly money related, but 
it comes to fire as well, right? Do you need to upgrade your car? Do you need to upgrade your house? You know, can, do you have to live, uh, or if you choose to go to, I don't know, Indonesia to retire, do you need to rent the Taj Mahal type of thing? You know, can you, can you get by with a, a cheaper accommodation? Uh, and I always thought, and since our subject today was all about the bike, I'll give you a bonus tip today, and that is to sell your car and ride your bicycle. <laughs> of course. Riding bikes has saved me a heap of money. Uh, and, you know, whilst the car's still in the garage, um, depreciating, uh, you know, it's not getting, the paint's not getting damaged, it's not getting wear and tear, so it's, you know, preserving its value. But uh, one day, eventually, I'll be able to sell it and just focus just on riding the bikes. So, um, look, Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for carving out some time to have a chat. Again, I know this is the second time around, so double thanks. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. To get in touch with you, what's the best way to track you down? Either Facebook or Instagram at Money Like Mike and sign up. I have a weekly newsletter that I send out every Wednesday, so join me in that. All right, Mike, we look forward to um, catching up for a beer and, uh, and, a, and a bike ride sometime in the future. All right, thanks, Captain. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Captain Fi Financial Independence Podcast. To read the transcripts or check out the show notes, head over to www.captainfi.com for all the details. If you have a question for the captain, make sure to get in touch. You might even make it on the airwaves. You can reach me online through the Captain Fi contact form or get in touch through the socials. I'm active on Facebook and Instagram, as well as a number of online finance and investing forums. And finally, remember, the information presented on the show and the links provided are for general information purposes only. They should not be taken as constituting professional financial advice. You should always do your own research when making any financial decisions and make sure it's appropriate for your personal circumstance. Yeah. <laughs>